Man is only a reed, the weakest in nature, but he is a thinking reed. There is no need for the whole universe to take up arms to crush him. A vapor, a drop of water is enough to kill him. But even if the universe were to crush him, man would still be nobler than his slayer because he knows that he is dying and the advantage the universe has over him. The universe knows none of this. Thus all our dignity consists in thought. It is on thought that we must depend for our recovery, not on space and time, which we could never fill. Let us then strive to think well. That is the basic principle of morality. Blaise Pascal Welcome to the Lost Traveler podcast. I'm your host, Henry Cameron Allen. And today is a very exciting day for me because uh, a dear friend of mine has, maybe a year ago, pointed me in the direction of this amazing gentleman who is, I believe, American-born, but uh, currently lives in Chiang Mai, Thailand? Uh, um, yes and no. Currently in a bit of a transit, but yeah, still in time. Oh, okay. Well, you, you've been there for a while anyway. Um, yeah. But you are, um, you, I love the way you talk about, this is Justin Lee, everybody. And welcome, Justin. I'm really excited to get into it with you because I've been watching and reading your posts on social media. Um, I'll point to your, uh, your social media links in the description of this podcast. Um, and I've just been so impressed at, well, a couple of things. I love how you talk about holding space. That's a very powerful position to come from in our time when people feel, I know I feel like the world, define that as you will, is sort of slipping through our fingers. And to be empowered to hold space to have conversations about self-awareness, about intimacy, about self-recognition, not only in the spiritual sense, but in the physical sense. Um, and and to, to express the way you do about being human with all its foibles, with all its victories, um, you know, this is a life skills podcast. This is about universal life skills for our time. And nobody is a, is a life skills expert in everything, but you're as close, I think, as I've come to somebody who touches on so many different levels. Um, talk a little bit about who you are and, and how you found this work. It's like a broad question. I appreciate the, the uh, introduction there. Yeah, my my background is is some, in some ways very traditional, and I guess in some ways about ten-ish years ago, I had an opportunity to kind of be exposed to new ideas and new paradigms that just kind of set me on this path of you know, exploring myself a lot deeper. Which you know, I guess in the physical um, uh, the physical side of it led me to Southeast Asia and spent some time in, in places like Bali and Thailand, where I call home as as long as they as long as they let me stay here um, at the moment. And 
Yeah, you know, I um, my my starting point was really that I grew up in Southern California, was pretty normal, I'd say, in a lot of ways. You know, was never the most uh, you know popular kid. Definitely felt um, you know definitely felt the weirdness of of not fitting in and all that stuff, as many of us do. And yeah. and spent my twenties, you know, went to school and spent my twenties kind of chasing. Uh, what I thought was supposed to be the lifestyle, you know, the American dream, essentially, mm. you know, did a lot of sales, chased, chased a lot of things, I'll put it that way. And, you know, near the end of it was noticing that just things were not working, or things weren't very fulfilling. Um, and I was very fortunate through, I guess, some a bit of chance and a bit of reaching got involved in men's development, uh, found myself in rooms with men with intentional you know, directions and, and, and goals and through that process started developing uh, essentially brotherhood had that experience for myself you know for the first time growing up uh, only child and yeah that really opened a lot of doors for me you know gave me the opportunity to really explore myself to get reflection from other from other people from other men in a way that i never had before and through that um, experienced you know periods of sobriety you know my a lot of my 20s were uh, engaged in smoking marijuana, you know, it's still, it's still a bit of a thing these days, but you know, that was my medicinal. first real, medicinal. yeah, medicinal, medicinal, <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, it comes and goes in different ways and sure. what it's used for. Um, yeah. But it was through men's work and through men's development that I first had the support to step away from that for a long enough period of time to where I really, um, without sounding too cliche, found myself in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. um, and that set me off the path of, you know, connecting with others in deeper ways. And, you know, especially being out here in Southeast Asia, there's a certain um, freedom to freedom of expression and freedom of, of exploration of self and others and all that stuff. And that's been a journey all on its own. You know, that's have has had different chapters and different, you know, parts of the book, as it were. And yeah, that kind of leads me to where I guess I am now, which is, you know, continually evolving and you know, trying to figure this thing out. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. One of the things that really <clears throat> has been coming up for me a lot this past year is the question of how globally we are defining or redefining what it means to be a man or masculinity. You know, there's been a lot of talk. It's been kind of a hot topic about toxic masculinity, and that has many different forms. Um, When it comes down to, you know, I I mentioned earlier your work with somatic awareness and, and physicality. Another topic that's been very much at the fore, but it's still kind of emerging, is the question of gender identity and what what makes a man or a woman? <clears throat> is it the gender, the parts you're born with? Or is it, you know, deeper than that? Is it, is it more uh, spiritual? Is it more about self-recognition on a, you know, a, looking in the mirror, what do you see kind of thing? What, what's your perspective on that? You've done so many workshops in especially brotherhood and, and men's groups. I know you've worked with women as well. Um, I'm really curious on, on your perspective. Yeah, 
you know, in some ways around this topic, I feel, uh, as I believe many men probably do, or many people do in the world, which is I feel caution to even speak about it in mm. some ways, um, simply because quite frankly, I'm, I'm a pretty cis heterosexual man. Right, that that's kind of my pretty pretty sis is kind of a broad that that even has its own layers in there. <laughs> I guess so. I guess so. Yeah. Well, well simply simply said over the years, you know, of just exploring myself and you know all these things, and I guess having the opportunity to be in situations and and certain events, things like that, to where the the permission has been there to kind of explore what is it to be. A man, what does it mean to be a human, right? right. And I say out that to say that I definitely don't have a clear answer to this. Um, but what I can say, and what I do believe, is that you know, for for a long time, I had the question of, that, or I had the idea that it was important to be a good man, right, or to be a good, you know, a good or a great man, whatever whatever adjective you want to use. And more and more, what I'm finding, especially over the last few years, I've noticed that let's say I'm reading an article that's specifically for men or even an article that's specifically for women, mm -hmm. right? One of the things I'm noticing is how they're, they're kind of universal in most ways. Like there are some, you know, more specific things, but generally speaking, you know, I find that I can very easily just swap out the, the, the pronoun and right. either just use human or I can use man or switch in, you know, switch in woman. And, and that's been a really, um, that's been a big, shift in how I'm viewing a lot of things in the sense that I don't think it's these days I think it's more important to be a good human and a good person than it is to be a good man. Your generous sponsorship and individual support of the Lost Traveler podcast benefits the Lost Travelers Club a charitable project under the fiscal sponsorship of United Charitable a nonprofit 501c3 organization. The Lost Travelers Club focuses primarily on the needs of parents who have outlived their beloved children. We recently launched our new Brain Candy Project Wing, providing art supplies to children still struggling with critical or terminal health-related conditions. We hope to raise enough funds to launch Brain Candy, an arts and literature magazine created by and for these young people. Find out more at www.braincandy.online. Thank you. I hope so. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I hope so. yeah. Hopefully, it sounds like people are starting to wake up to that, that there's some yeah. kind of a veil lifting this, you know, the sense, even in our language, we talk about being non-binary. That's another category of being that people are waking up to in themselves and recognizing more importantly, maybe respecting in one another, um, that it's not just about male and female, man and woman, masculine and feminine. We all carry both qualities as human beings, don't we? Exactly, yeah. Yeah, that, that's, uh, and as you say, this is something that's becoming more and more prevalent in the consciousness of, or just awareness of the world that, that, yeah, as humans, we do have a, or it seems to be that we have what we can call a, a masculine essence. And it seems like we have a feminine essence, 
and how this works for both men and women or, or really you know across the across the spectrum and you know one of the things i work with these days a lot or i've been diving into is the is Jungian psychology and archetypes and all that good stuff and yeah. one of the things that is spoken about in that is how they're how a healthy expression of humanity has a divine marriage between both these parts and how you know i believe these days especially and this is what's great about you know living in these times is how it seems like there's more and more permission to to kind of shake off the assumptive roles that are, or the things that that uh you know our culture or whatnot says that we have to be or, or we have to take on and and you know this is one of the things i really value about the about the trans movement and the non-binary movement is that it's really putting us so much more permission for everyone to really question and kind of wonder like huh i have this inkling that there's something more or there's something um not quite you know not quite congruent or not quite right uh, to put it that way and there's all this yeah it feels like there's a lot more permission these days to to talk about it to explore it to express and really to and you know especially with social media to show up and kind of say this is me or this, at least this is where i am now and you know to be able to engage from those most places you know back in the in the 80s i'm dating myself but um i had a, a very close relationship with my paternal grandmother and when uh, we had a similar conversation back then i think she was an evolved being in many ways in other ways not so much but certainly you know and i was about 17 or 18 years old and something that she said to me really hit home and still is kind of a beacon for me in my in my self-expression and my self-awareness and she said to me honey labels are for food cans human beings are too complex for anybody's label you slap a label on yourself and you're opening up to the whole world's interpretation of who you are and only you know you so let your name be labeled enough let them get to know your good name be a good person first people should smile when they hear your name i love that it just oh. it still makes me tingle because i wish more people got that you know one of the things when we talk about culture when we talk about uh freedom um yeah i grew up all over the world i was very fortunate in that sense that i didn't grow up in a bubble my dad was a, a diplomat an american diplomat and i lived on a number of continents growing up in many different cultures and one of the things that i i came to realize very young was that not all cultures can be spoken of in the same way there are some cultures i'm sure you experience this in southeast asia uh, that are much more conservative and rooted in a in an old school perspective perhaps uh, but some of those old cultures are much more expansive you look at india for instance and you know there were male female representations for thousands of years, not only in the people of, of the land, but in their deities, right? Um, and it wasn't until colonization happened that those expansive ideas of what it means to be a human being were all but destroyed and have affected cultures uh, around the world. 
I think, uh, and, and this is a question for you too, because you've traveled quite a bit. Um, why is it that you, that in the West, we seem to be more easily grasping these conversations about gender fluidity and, and uh, self-identity than in the East? That's what it seems like from, from, my, from where I am, um, that, that there's still a major disconnect East and West in, in these conversations. It's starting to happen, little bits and bobs, you see it emerging, um, but, but it's, it's not at an equal pace. We can't talk about universal world culture yet. Uh, I hope someday that that, that can happen, but what, what do you think is the difference? Why, why is that? Mm. So, I know I ask really big questions. This is just a little insight into my brain and how it works. Yeah, I'm, I'm wondering these questions, you know. But I'm finding yeah. people who have different perspectives based on your biography and your expertise. You know, you do have unique eyes, and and I'm really interested. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. So I do want to preface that this is just my, this is definitely just my opinion, right? And just based off what I see and just, you know, the connections that I make in my, you know, perhaps sometimes faulty, faulty brain. Another little um, pearl of wisdom from my grandmother, eat the fish and spit out the bones. Oh, nice. <laughs> right? I like, you know, Take I like what it. works for you and <laughs> discard the rest. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, I, I feel like, so, so what I find interesting is how a lot of the Eastern cultures, as far as I can tell, they, you know, in terms of the ancient times, they had a lot of, of fluidity. Yeah. And, you know, we can see this in the art, we can see this in, uh, in a lot of the statues that are around, especially if you go to India, right, there's a lot of, there's a lot of that kind of uh, play, you know, and uh, there isn't as much definition. Um, and I feel like yeah, without getting too gritty about it, as, as you said, there's something about colonization that over time has kind of, has essentially repressed it in the world. And if we look at specifically Eastern cultures, you know, part of the um, detriments of colonialization is how a lot of their, a lot of their roots were either taken or they were given up for the sake of safety or or you know belonging to into a a, a more held structure or economics um, even yeah or, or yeah economics exactly and so how you know especially like I'll, I'll say even here in thailand you know i can tell if i go to certain parts of thailand you know thailand's a big a big place but if i go to certain parts i can tell that compared to other parts that there's a little bit more of a loss of let's say the old ways or the old beliefs or things like that um, this is definitely something that I experienced on Bali, where it's so it's very clear that there is uh, the old, very established, but then there's this over the years, this, you know, gentle, not so gentle encroachment upon it that has either um, diminished it, changed it, or just removed it in a lot of ways. And I feel like where we are in terms of the West, to call it that, um, I feel like we've maybe 
you know, through the expansion of our thoughts, right, through the permission that we've given ourselves, right, the, you know, the, the, the gifts of individuality, I think one of them is that we have kind of evolved ourselves to this point to where we've been able to give ourselves that space to think about these things, right, and think like, oh, there, there could be more. And so it almost seems like we're, it, it almost seems like the East and the West are on two different cycles, I'll say, like, like two different timelines. And you know, in terms of the West, we just happen to be in the timeline where we're able to be a lot more questiony, I guess. Whereas the East perhaps may still be in in the um, you know still be maybe in their cycle of of uh, kind of moving through where they're at. Like, I'm not sure sure if you're familiar with spiral dynamics at all. Mm -hmm, um, sure. Yeah, right. So, so there's a bit of, of, of that kind of playing into it. I'm definitely not uh, well-versed enough to, to start speaking about it, but I definitely see a lot of, of that in terms of different colors and how, you know, we're all, you know, these, these uh, if we're to call them just, you know, the East and the West is kind of, you know, seems too simplistic. Binary. Um, but it does seem, <laughs> binary, yeah, exactly. But it does seem like we're all on different, on different cycles with regards to our spiraling and our dynamics with all that. Balance, pain mitigation, range of motion, performance, focus, memory, immune system support, REM level of sleep, all this and more made possible affordably with no pharmaceuticals, injections, or invasive treatments. Just socks, insoles, and patches made stronger with the tactile patterning of Vox Life products. They're scientifically proven to work, guaranteed. Now available through direct sales in the USA, Canada, and the United Kingdom. To find out more, visit dianedinkmeyer.voxlife.com. That's dianedinkmeyer.voxlife.com. You'll be glad you did. Do you think that could have something to do with poverty? Because I think that, you know, when you are looking at the West, which comparatively is extremely affluent, what people call poor in North America, for instance, is, is palatial and extremely wealthy. You know, the, the disposable culture that we have formed for ourselves in the West um, and then, and then depositing our refuse, our trash, our discarded clothing and, and other things into mountains in the East, especially Southeast Asia. Um, you know, when, when we think about, I, this was really a, a wake up call for me when I, uh, I was invited by the United Nations to do a project in Fiji a few years ago, uh, to work with youth, um, and one of the things that we were talking about was the disparity between urban youth and rural youth, right? So the kids in the city have access to internet cafes, even if they're poor, they can go and you know buy a cup of tea and sit at the internet <clears throat> for hours. Um, in America, we have libraries that are free where anybody, you could be homeless and uh, 
and and go and sit in a library on the internet looking for opportunities looking for you know whatever's going to expand your experience in the east however those things especially for provincial youth are not readily available and the education and vast amount of the deluge of information that is coming to urban centers around the globe, but especially in the West, especially to our youth uh, at their fingertips is not accessible to most people, I would venture to say, in the East. Do you think that has something to do with this expansion of consciousness and the sort of limit, limited uh, pacing of it in the East? I really like that you are that year that we're touching on this because, you know, it, it, it's 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 very difficult to speak about consciousness and to speak about evolution of humanity and all these things and not to kind of recognize that it's a pretty privileged thing to be able to even consider and ponder my personal existence and how I want to be in the world and right. what I want to be doing and how I want to have people label me or not label me and all this all this stuff right? right versus you know there are as we say there are definitely parts of the world you know not just the east but just you know in, in other parts of, of you know the, the the yeah different parts of the world where yeah there is not that luxury to be able to ponder and to dream. sit without yeah to dream to vision to all these things and and i think um yeah, I think it definitely plays a part. It definitely plays a part, and it's it's um, yeah, it's it's an interesting thing, you know, because it is a it apparently it is a reality that is in place right now, and so you know, it's really this question of what do we do with it. And and that's my next question: What do we do with it? And I'm asking you, and and specifically referencing Southeast Asia because you're there. And you're you're a witness, and I think it's really important for I, I have I have listeners in 31 countries around the world, and there are perspectives that we have an opportunity to tap into in the experience of others and what they're witnessing in their part of the world um, that you have because you're there, and so that's that's why I'm I'm focused on that. It's not that I'm zeroing in on you know for for just to highlight where you are, but, but just to, to say that there's a recognition that not every human being, even though there is a universal quality to our humanity, not every human being has the same experience. Not every human being has the same challenges or the same privilege. And so to be able to speak it here in a safe environment from different perspectives, it's kind of like the moon. You know, we, we only see one side of the moon, right? The side that's illuminated by the sun and the moon doesn't rotate like the earth does. But like the moon, there's one side of the earth that is always going to be lit and the other side of the earth that's always going to be in darkness. And I think that that plays for me in both senses, both culturally, spiritually, economically, Look at the way it's all playing out right now in the world. I think there's there's a cycle there that that is begging to be noticed and recognized and worked with. 
right? Let's shine a little bit of light then. Yes. And see what happens. Shine the light. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'll speak. I'll speak. Um, yeah, my experience here in Southeast Asia, being essentially a an expat, you know, and seeing kind of the um, you know seeing how things have been over the last few years. Yeah, you know, I, I feel like before COVID, oh, we said the word. Yeah, <laughs> brought it in. <laughs> um, but before COVID, you know, the places that I've been in, you know, Thailand, Bali, um, you know, Malaysia, things like that, have been essentially, in some ways, uh, this is a strong way of putting it, but it's very hard not to see it this way, but have been tainted by, by capitalism and tourism. And the impact of that, I don't think was really felt until COVID happened right. and the tourist industries, especially here in Thailand, a lot of the places that I mentioned have been absolutely decimated. Yeah. And to see over the last you know, couple of years, how you know, businesses that I used to frequent, you know, smiling faces all of a sudden look a little more pained when they smile and to see how much dependency has been created through essentially a version of colonialism um, has been has been a difficult thing to reconcile you know because it's so clear how you know even myself right like i am american right like like you know the, the money comes in american dollars and how much of uh, uh, i'll use the word how much power that can afford me here and how how weird that is at times hmm. at least for me you know I, I know you know i can step outside my door and there are definitely those that don't think anything of this stuff but you know perhaps with my with my background my heritage you know i i'm a bit more sensitive to it or maybe i'm just more sensitive i don't know um but i definitely see that class and and economics and all these things play a part and have in some ways deeply impacted to you know deeply impacted the, the east to call that again mm -hmm. um and it's very yeah it's pretty confronting because i'm not sure how you know, i'm not sure how this auto corrects itself or if it's even possible right. you know when i just for example when i'm and for sure i'm um I'm projecting what I'm about to say. It's definitely something that I'm imagining in my head or that could or could not be true. Mm -hmm. But, you know, how, especially being an Asian man in Asia, in Southeast Asia, you know, there is something to, there's something that can happen if I go into a coffee shop, let's say, and let's say act too Western. Right, right. I, right. right, if I go in there and I, you know, sit down, I pull up my laptop with my with my laptop stand and my in my my little keyboard, you know, and I like set up shop and start doing my thing. And it's difficult not to notice how there's an energy that that seems to create for the for, for the, the local staff, I would say. Um, I don't even like saying it that way, but no, uh, it's accurate, I guess. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's different shades, you know, sometimes I feel and again, this is all just in my head, right? But sometimes I imagine that there's a bit of envy, there's a bit of desiring, 
there's confusion, especially with me being Asian, you know, like uh, I'm not the average expat as it were. Right. Um, and I think what is most difficult at times is that there seems to be a longing for something. And yeah, it seems like at times there's a longing for essentially more of what the West supposedly can offer, right? What they see on TV, you know, all the movies, all the stuff like that. And, and, the, and the challenge I see is that what most people see, just like for, you know, for myself growing up in the States, right? Mm-hmm. What we see on TV and media is, is this amazing picture of the streets are paved like, with gold, right? How yeah, far streets are paved with gold. does that go? You know? Do you right? find, do you find and, that, that there's a difference when you're in the States, when you're home? as an American, as an Asian American, in the way that you're treated there as well? Because that's that's also been a, a curiosity of mine too, because we hear, I mean, there's such, a, and thankfully, there's such a push for recognition of, uh, of people of color, you know, and indigenous folks in the States about uh, ripping the bandage off of this wound that's been festering for generations uh, to recognize the the history, to recognize the invention, innovation that has contributed to what America has become in the best ways, because it's not always the best. I'm an expat too, I'm in Spain. Um, There there are many reasons I I prefer to live outside the US, but, but yeah, what's your what's your experience conversely in in America as an Asian American? Man. Yeah, man. Well, it's interesting. Yeah, well, it's interesting because in some ways I have I have not really been back for mm. a good number of years. I had a I had a five week stint about uh, about three years ago, and you know that was uh, that was a bit like I was on on. I mean, it wasn't quite fall day or vacation, but I was you know it was it was. It definitely had a different feel than I would imagine it would be if I were to be moving back and experiencing that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an interesting question because I, I feel like the person that I have grown into over the last few years being here in Southeast Asia is so different than who I was back then when I left. Um, and that is all to say that, you know, I think that you, you've touched on, on something that I feel is really you know, in the world and culturally, especially in, you know, specifically America or, you know, that part of the world is a, is such a uh, important thing that has come, that has come through in the last couple of years, you know, for, um, you know, for all the, for the, all the upheaval that it created, you know, the good and the bad, you know, one of the things I, I see that was a, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna call it a positive that came from George Floyd and that whole experience of, of the summer of 2020 was how it felt like that was really and this is my personal just what I see and what what I kind of feel yeah it felt like that was really the spark that has allowed for what's been happening over the last couple of years which is where as you said there's been so much more permission for recognition. It feels like before then, like I'll, I'll speak for myself, it hasn't been until the last couple of years that I've openly started to talk about like that I'm Asian and that I have racial challenges and that, you know, there's some wounding that came through my 
you know, that my my experience of growing up in, in Southern California and all this stuff like that, because up until the last couple of years, I'll share that up until the last couple of years, my experience usually when I'd speak to it were either people would not accept it, they would deny it, uh, they would, you know, there was definitely some gaslighting as well, to use that word. Yeah. Um, and it feels like now when I speak it, there's more of a acknowledgement, at least, at the least, of like, oh, there is this thing. And of course, now we're in this place where we're all kind of figuring out what to do with it because it's such a, you know, it's pretty, it's pretty sticky and messy. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but I feel like like we're in a time in our in our world right now, which is absolutely beautiful. You know, I mean, it's absolutely difficult and super, super challenging in all the ways. And at the same time, it almost feels like it's something that has um, uh, come due, as it were. You know, these these topics, these questions, even the questions about non-binary and, and all those movements, right? It's like, I feel like the last couple of years, there's really been, it's almost like you said, like the, the, the veil has been pulled off. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's going back on anytime soon. No. Um, you know, hopefully it's, hopefully we, we find nicer ways to, to, uh, to explore what's underneath um, mm-hmm. than what's kind of been happening so far. But yeah, I think we're, we're in a time in a world where we're definitely not going to go back, I believe, in a lot of these topics and a lot of these conversations and, and the impact of, of um, yeah, the impacts of, of certain things that maybe were not explicit, I think are going to be more and more spoken to, you know, um, inquired upon and yeah, through that, you know, through that light shining, you know, perhaps even finding different ways or new ways to, to, uh, to create the bridges that, that may be needed for some of these conversations. Shadow and Light LLC was established by Dave Roberts and Reverend Patty Farino, co-authors of When the Psychology Professor Met the Minister. Their mission is to empower individuals to transcend life challenges by integrating spiritual practices with psychology to achieve peace. They are available for individualized spiritual counseling, virtual or in-person presentations and workshops to universities, organizations, and other interested groups, virtual or in-person book club meetings. For further information, go to psychologyprofessorandminister.com. Well, and, and like you talk about so much, it's about holding space, you know, as we are striving for understanding, which is really the impulse that I'm feeling right now, universally in the world, there is a striving for understanding, a striving for resolution, and toward love. I think that's, and unity. I think those are, those are key key pivotal parts of our our development our evolution and growth as a species you know um you know when we talk about evolution and we talk about growth whether it's personal whether it's cultural whether it's national um growth is messy growth is difficult growth is painful 
right? We talk even physiologically growing up, you know, when we're 10, 11, 12 years old, we experience growing pains. And I think that those pains are, are felt more profoundly by some people individually, both individually and culturally. Um, I think it's also that there's that sense of empowerment and maturity that one finds through their pain, through their growing pains. Um, you know, when we're when we're evolving into our young adulthood or into our teens or preteens, there's a sense of achievement along with the pain, isn't there? And we're seeing that in in Ukraine right now through the pain of what is happening there, this invasion, there is an incredible, I mean, well, maybe not incredible, it's credible. <laughs> I've lived in that part of the world. There is this, this sense of their own strength, their own power. This war from the Ukrainian perspective has nothing to do with gender, even though it's, you know, it's Putin on that side, you know, coming in with his manliness, right, self-perceived. Um, it's men and women of the Ukraine that are standing up and saying, bring it, bring it, right? It's the mothers and the fathers. It's the fathers who have had to be mother and father. It's the mothers who have had to be father and mother. We carry that within our, our genetic makeup, the, the, the traumas that our, our previous generations experienced, uh, we carry in our own DNA. Studies are showing this now. Science is saying, this is what we know to be true. Science is a process, it's not an answer, it's a journey, right? Um, Talk a little bit more about your heritage and, and, and where your ethics, your values, how were you raised? Were you raised in a more traditional sense? Were your parents first, second generation? Um, that informs so much of who we become as, as adults, doesn't it? I'm curious. Yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting question to have turned towards me because it's only been actually in the last maybe gosh, couple months that I've actually self-identified as the son of immigrants. Wow. Yeah. And it's such a strange thing to kind of recognize how so much of how I've um, identified myself or spoken of myself has not been in that way. Um, you know, this goes back to that permission of that, like the, the recognition of like, oh, that is kind of where I come from. You know, my, my mom, uh, uh, both my parents are, are essentially from Hong Kong. My mom showed up when she was like 19. My dad arrived when he was, I think, seven or nine. They both went to college. They got the corporate jobs and, you know, did the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, they had me, you know, had me in the 80s. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, and I guess my experience was a little bit interesting in the sense that my parents, you know, it's funny because this has been such a, uh, you know, I've had to dance with the, with the advantages of this and also in some ways the disadvantages of this. But, sure. you know, when I was about to be born, they made the decision to move from Los Angeles from, you know, where my cousins and kind of that, that, um, you know, where let's say, 
yeah, maybe one of the family or more of the Asian communities were, you know, located, and they intentionally moved me down further south to, to Orange County, um, where I was, you know, very, um, where I stood out a lot more, I'll put it that way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so it was, it was interesting growing up because you know, not only was I an only child, but, you know, with my, both my parents working, you know, my grandma on my mom's side was bouncing back between California and uh, Sydney, where my, where, my, uh, where my aunts and my cousins were, were growing up. Sorry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so she was bouncing back and forth. So when I say all that to say that a lot of my um, education and a lot of what I was exposed to was essentially daycare, was mm-hmm. essentially um you know television and so in some ways you know i i say this jokingly but it's very it's very accurate but like i am very much a product of my environment sure which is to say that yeah which is to say that i took on a lot of the i'll say the assumptive um um ways that can come from you know places like that and yeah so it's it's been an interesting process for me over the years of reconciling with that of, you know, definitely, you know, the high school periods were not that great mm-hmm. uh, in the sense of, you know, standing out in the ways that are not always the nicest way to stand out during high school. Um, but then over the last years, especially as I've kind of come to myself and been able to look at myself more in the mirror and see that, oh, there's, there's an expression here that is, that's, uh, that's more than what maybe I was, um, given i'll say you know that there is heritage that there is a sense of ancestry that wasn't given to me or wasn't shown to me growing up and how um i mean this is essentially the asian asian dysphoria as they call it Mm -hmm. um you know and how even today it's a it's 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 a difficult thing especially where you know if my parents are from hong kong and if we know what's happening in Hong Kong now, in the sense that it's kind of not Hong Kong anymore, right? Exactly. And, right, and like with a uh, with an American passport, and sounding like I'd sound like this, and not and not speaking the language in any fluency, right? You know, to feel like there's a good chance I may never go back to the motherland ever again. You know, is um, yeah, it's definitely a thing, and and I feel like we're in this time in the world where there's perhaps more and more of this kind of um, recognition of the past and the desire for ancestry and, and connection to that while also you know feeling like perhaps there's a, a, a gradual loss to it as well and almost not knowing where to grasp onto you know what i found to be helpful for me because i i grew up all over the world, like I said, and I never saw, as I'm sure this is this is common ground between you and I, is that you didn't see anyone of your heritage reflected in media, in movies, in culture. And yeah, I, I'm Jewish on both sides. And there's always been this question, is, is Judaism a religion or a race, right? <laughs> and of course, I'm of the belief that we are, and this is from experience, having lived multi-continent global citizen uh, practically my whole life, uh, is that we are 
a race of beings. We are human race. And there are commonalities amongst all humans on the planet. It's a very tiny planet and we are all related. We are all genetically related. This is true. This is what we know to be true. And, and yet, you know, I grew up in cultures where Jews had a very uh, difficult and, and practically every country Jews have had a difficult history. And you'd never, one never saw reflected, even in America, Jews are usually presented as a comedic foil, right? If they're gonna be in the four, they're gonna be in a, in a sense of comedy. And not in a, in a pointing fingers, haha, we're laughing at you kind of a way, but it's been a source of empowerment. Um, but it's also, it, 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 it was difficult for me growing up in parts of the world where my heritage was not on a, on a level playing field. And people will look at me and they'll say, oh, he's a white man. I've never identified that way. And a few years ago, I had my DNA tested. And indeed, <laughs> it lit up different parts of the world that our family stories have lost. They've, those have been lost to time. Nobody knew that we had this, this history in us. I was able to deep dive and go back to thousands of years back to Africa and finding my ancestral roots there down to the tribes in East Africa, in, in Kenya and in Tanzania. I know the tribes that, that birthed me, you know, they were, they were the, the foundation stone of, of my existence. And I have a deeper respect and, and curiosity about those cultures that live within me, my heritage, my birthright, if you will. Um, so I can total, I can relate on that, maybe not totally, but I can relate because I've, I'm fair skinned. I've had more privilege. I get that because of the shape of my eyes and my face and my body. I, I get that I have had more privilege than, than others. Um, when, when it's, when you're immersed in a culture where people, more people than not, essentially look like you or have similar features, it's easy to sort of disappear, isn't it? Did you, when you, when you arrived there, did you feel a sense of comfort in that? Or did you feel invisible? Interesting question. Not to be binary. <laughs> it's not either <laughs> or. I'm sure there are layers. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it's an it's an interesting question because my experience has been um, so. So answer yes. You know, especially in the beginning, it was like, oh, I can just kind of chill out and like just kind of just do my thing, and it didn't feel. Yeah, there was no extra. And that's to say that, you know, one of my experiences, I'm pretty sure this is just a me experience, but, you know, I've definitely talked to some other folks that have had similar experiences, you know, in different parts where, you know, it's funny here in Thailand, for example, I am 
for the most part, most Thais can tell that I'm not Thai. Mm -hmm. um, or if I, or if they're not sure, as soon as I open my mouth, I'm, it's clear I'm not Thai. Yeah. Um, and I'd say that for a large majority of, I'll say, uh, as they would call them here, Farangs, right? You know, people who look like you, mm -hmm. um, you know, they can't tell if I'm actually Thai or I'm not Thai. And so it's been an interesting experience over the last few years because a lot of times if I don't say anything, I'm, I am in some ways ignored. Um, and that's definitely been a source of pain. Perhaps you can even feel that coming through. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, because there's been times where I can sit in a coffee shop and if I don't display my English, I'll put it that way, then I can very easily have days and days and weeks where there's no there's no connection towards me or, or there, there's, there's no, you know, there's nothing coming my way. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's an interesting thing to experience, you know, when it comes to, to the question of quote, quote, why is that? Um, you know, why is there this bias of, you know, of in some ways expats and travelers and tourists to come to places like this. And, in some ways, I mean, this is, I don't want to say it all, it all comes down to colonialism, but there's definitely threads of it in this, where if I don't have to engage with, let's say, the locals, except to get my needs met, then I won't. Um, and that's, uh, and that, that's been something that is, in some ways, harder and harder to not see. Um, and I see that within myself, too. Like, I'll, I'll out myself in that way that, mm -hmm. you know, my tie is is uh, i mean it's 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 barely elementary i'll put it that way um and and it's a tricky thing it's a tricky thing you know to to see how you know as a human it is difficult to learn a new language right and it is difficult to reach out to those that let's say don't look like me or that i'm not sure about or i'm not comfortable with and I think this is one of the challenges of our modern age is how, you know, I think more and more, I think humanity as a whole, or maybe just the West, you know, where we get to have all these thoughts. I think we're more and more seeing that, that we all have these shadows within us, you know, and how if they are not acknowledged, then the shadows kind of run their course and things can get kind of not nice for others. You can get lost um, in the shadows. Yeah. yeah, get lost in the shadows. And the, the tricky part is that facing the shadows and working through the shadows is not a nice process either, right? And I think that's where we are collectively as, as humanity. We're kind of going through that process. So it's a tricky time, you know, where we're having to, you know, touching on the holding space, you know, um, you know idea where we're really having to hold space for ourselves. I, I think believe in... in that we're having to hold space in, for ourselves in new ways, but it almost seems like we're being asked to, and in some ways forced to, or maybe forced to is a, is a strong word, but we're, you know, the, the invitation is very strong and it's very in our face that we're almost having to, to hold space for a lot of things that were you know, not acknowledged before, you know, things like racism, things like colonialism, things that now, you know, the impacts of, of tourism and, and, you know, all these things that, that are kind of showing up in the world, mm -hmm. um, you know, the refugee crisis, just, just the different, the different shades of that, even, even right. what's happening in Ukraine, right. Yeah. With those that are not Ukrainian that are dealing with that whole thing. And, you know, it's more and more, you know, 
thank you know i guess i guess uh thank thank you for social media and technology right that more of this is being seen right talk about that light and shadow to, <laughs> yeah light yeah. and shadow exactly right um yeah and, and i think that's just where we find ourselves right now as our collective humanity we're just going through those uh those sticky parts that are you know, the growing pains, as they call it. Hi, I'm Yvonne Johansson, and this is My Little House. My Little House is an interactive, multi-sensory, educational felt toy that I invented to help develop children's language skills. I love My Little House. I've been working as a speech therapist for over 20 years. So then I just thought, wouldn't it be great if I could just take this one-dimensional board and make it into an actual three-dimensional toy? How cool would that be? That's the idea behind My Little House. You can spread it out flat like a four-panel felt board, or here's the cool part. In the blink of an eye, My Little House easily converts into a three-dimensional reversible house. My Little House comes with 36 felt cutout pieces that match outlines in eight colorful rooms and they're felt, so they stick. Each piece inside My Little House has been placed with purpose. But My Little House isn't just for kids on the spectrum or with significant disorders. It's also for typically developing two to five-year-olds. It's a fun toy. I always say to my kids, when you get stuck, you have to ask for help. Can you tell me what you see on top of the refrigerator? I know that my little house is going to make a difference in thousands of children's lives. I just need your help in getting it out there. Thank you so much for listening. For more information about my little house, my little farm, my little zoo, and other smart felt toys, visit www.smartfelttoys.com. Well, and that is exactly a perfect segue into how we wrap up this hour because I started this podcast a couple of years ago in order to be a helper because I knew how I was feeling. I was feeling helpless in this chaotic world. That is the worst feeling that I can feel. And I felt it before. I felt it as a child. I felt it when I lost my son to brain cancer when he was 13. I lost it when I left America and found myself in Europe for the first time since 1973. And I felt, you know, helpless in that, who am I? That question of who am I? I feel more at home in Europe than I ever felt in America. What is that about? And of course, most of my heritage comes from Central Europe. So of course I would feel, but then what do I do with that, right? I'm limited in my language. I speak functional Spanish. I speak functional Portuguese, right? Um, and that's about it. So where do I go? What do I do? So I like to end the podcast and, and thank you, by the way, I, I went deep with you on some of these questions uh, that just sort of emerged, you know, it's, it's, it, it had to ask, you know, this is a safe place to have these conversations. And because 
we have a global audience, it's permission giving, isn't it? To be able to speak truth about your experience. And this is unique to you. These are these stories are unique to me. And, and maybe someone out there will resonate with this frequency and hit your, your website, soulfulintimacy.com to, to find out more about how they can navigate uh, the waters of, of self. And so I always end the podcast with uh, asking my guests to reflect back on what we've talked about and whether it's something we've touched on or whether it's something we haven't yet touched on, offer to our listeners three practical tools that they can carry away from this episode that can help them navigate the helplessness that they may be feeling in the world or give them a little bit of guidance for, for moving forward, if you would. So when I started my personal journey of you know, finding myself and just, I guess, evolving as a human, one of the things I was led towards was relationship and connection with others. And that's been uh, an orientation that I've been running with for the last few years. And over the last couple of years or last three or four years, you know, one of the things that I've really come to is how, while that's important, I'm finding more and more the, the earnest seems to be to be nurturing our inner relationship. Um, and I guess the, the first uh, tool or nugget that, I, that I'd offer out is really to is to really to begin the process of looking within. You know, one of the things I'm really clear about for myself, but also I see this in the world, is that when my inner world is not okay, right? When my inner world is not good, it's very difficult for my outer relationships to be functional and healthy and to be nice for everyone. Right. Um, and I feel like, especially all, say, our Western culture has really only shown us, I know this is my experience, has really only shown us to look outward for the things that we want. And I feel we're in a time in our world, especially if we are, I'll say, privileged enough to have the opportunity and the time and the space to do some of the inner work, whatever that may be, to really to turn towards that. Um, because, you know, I see this again for myself, the more that I tend my own inner garden, the, the more fertile the soil is, the nicer trees that grow, the, the, the flowers smell nicer and the fruits. And from that, you know, the trees bear fruit that get to be shared with others and the relationships around me. Um, and, and conversely, I think that's a word to that. The second nugget that I'd share is that as much as we are doing our inner work, I really believe it's super important or very important to begin the intentional process of turning towards each other. Um, you know, and this will lead to my, to my third, uh, my third nugget. Um, you know, someone asked me a little while back uh, recently, they asked me what the difference was between a men's group and a men's circle. Mm. And my answer to that is a men's group because we've probably heard you've probably heard you know Henry like like that kind of used interchangeably in a way almost yeah right? oh, absolutely yeah right and without being too much like oh this is 
you know, these are the definitions. To me, the difference between a men's group and a men's circle is that a circle by definition is a group of men that are, by virtue of the, of the structure, are facing each other. Versus a men's group can sometimes just be that. It's just kind of a gaggle of humans that may or may not be intentionally facing each other. And so in whatever way that shows up, I think one of the, the next evolutions of our humanity is really to, you know, like, like I've stopped using the term conscious communities and things like that because right. it, you know, it, it, it means everything, but also means absolutely nothing. Right. And I've been more and more using the term intentional community or intentional relationships. You know, there's something about the, the choice and the acknowledgement that I'm turning towards this person and through um, some amount of explicity, explicity, uh, that the other person is turning towards me at the same time. Right. And that through, Ryan, through that, there's some element of accountability, shared responsibility, mutuality, um, and how there's something about that that I see that we are moving towards almost a necessity that we're having to, to, to learn. And, and I think it's, I think whatever we've, I think however we've been doing it has been okay. And it's gotten us to a certain point, but perhaps there's the next steps of really, how do we bridge build, right? How do we create confluence? How do we, how do we reach each other in these ways to where we can all be heard, that things can be acknowledged, we can be you know, seen, felt, you know, embraced in all these ways. Yeah, so I think that's one of the most important things that we can do is to start learning the artful skill of turning towards each other and, and really, um, yeah, finding ways to bridge, you know, to build bridges, to, to facilitate that, that process of, of really, you know, learning how to perhaps, you know, perhaps find each other in a new way. Because it almost seems like whatever, however, and whatever we've been doing has worked to a certain degree, but there's definitely the possibility, I believe, of more. And I guess the third thing is simply to say to really to intentionally um, create those opportunities, you know, whether that's through men's groups or, you know, women's circles or men's circles, shared groups, all those things. Um, I think that there's an immense amount of power and, you know, I, I'm going to say magic, like something that I really believe is like our human magic, that there's something that humans have when two or more humans are together turning towards a certain direction. You know, that's obviously been in a text before, ancient mm -hmm. text, but I think there's something that, that gets unlocked in those moments. And I think that this is perhaps the, um, you know, one of the, the things that we can really, you know, start leaning towards and start growing with. Yeah, and it's going to be harder for some people than others. There are many people that are in isolation for one reason or another and have a limited ability to, to reach out. Maybe their anxiety is so thick right now, as I know it is in a lot of people, um, that they don't know even what first step to take to seek those out. Their intention may be right. Their desire may be there. But how, how does one take the first step? I know it's going to be individual, but but in a, in the most universal way, how can somebody? How can what do they do? What do they actually do to to reach out 
and find those those circles. Yeah, gosh, I, I, you know, hearing that question coming back this way, I feel like a good portion of what I said is just a bit of, you know, waffle, blah, 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 right? <laughs> no. Um, because, because, well, because you really spoke to it. You really spoke to it in the sense that, that, you know, these are nice ideas in many ways, but, you know, on the ground, right? Practically um, speaking. These are, yeah, yeah, practically speaking, these are, these are difficult things. And, you know, I feel like what I would say is just going to be a, a, you know, probably still under the umbrella of just a little bit, perhaps a little bit airy fairy in, in, in some of the ways that it is. But I think this is where those that have a voice that have the, like one of the things I really believe is to, in any situation, whether it's social, whether it's relationship or culturally, those that have the most awareness have the most responsibility. And so those of us like ourselves that, that have this awareness that, oh, there's something that, that, that is that, that, that there's a need or there's something that needs to be spoken to or, the, or something like that, that it's up to us to essentially to speak about it, to use social media, right, in the positive ways to create those opportunities to, to you know, even if let's say that's and you know let, let's let's say that someone wants is going to spend ads let's say on facebook or instagram to specifically reach people that are using those platforms because i think everyone's using these, these platforms for better for worse right across the board um you know for example using ads to reach those specific groups and you know inviting those, those folks in um yeah i feel like that's just that's just a, a nice idea um that that's maybe, maybe not actually grounded in in things but yeah, I, I I do believe that the that there is something to intention mm -hmm. and how if there's enough of shared intention of of something that I'm gonna call collectivism. I'm definitely a collectivist these days. Mm -hmm. um, that yeah, you know, and part of being collectivist these days is it's 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 there's a there's a healthy amount of hope and faith that has to come along with it yeah and you know in the actions that that, that we take right or that i take and so yeah so there's there's a i guess the the short answer is i really don't know a true <laughs> answer for that right well, and, Besides, and I think you're right i think it has yeah. to come from <laughs> it has to come from your own what your first your first point was is the inner work is to tap into yourself and go boldly into oneself and connect with one's inner child. That's really, I think, at the root of it all. What was that little boy or girl uh, or non-binary child? What were they experiencing? What didn't what didn't they get from their parents, from their teachers, from mentors, from role models that they didn't have? And how can we be that for ourselves? How can we self-parent? How can we self-educate? How can we self-mentor? And, and I think that is the first step. And people use the word meditation very broadly. And people think that you have to light incense and candles and sit in, you know, a certain posture with your hands together. Yeah, <clears throat> it's not about that at all. I think it could be in those moments as you're falling asleep that you just envision your, your inner child and what they need and tap into your 
your unique awareness of what that child needs and hasn't gotten yet, right? I'd say if, if I could sort of condense everything that you've just talked about, I think it begins there. That's a first step. You could be taking a bath. You could be sitting on the toilet. You could be sitting in your garden. You could take a walk around the block. You could sit at your window if you can't go outside and look at nature, oh. connect. Yeah, and you know, without kind of opening up another door here, something that that's coming up as I hear that is, so I'll speak to, to the second idea, which is the idea of community. So something that I've been really sitting with lately is how, you know, th there is a very strong thread in, and it showed up in my answer, my initial answer. Mm -hmm. There's a very strong thread in the world of essentially, I have to do it um, and that I'm responsible for myself. Mm -hmm. And what I'm more and more coming to is, is this, is how that's true. And I don't, so, so one of the things I see in, in our, in our general culture is how I'm supposed to take care of myself. And there's this community thing, right? There's this other people thing. And I feel like where our consciousness is right now and our culture is right now is that the other people thing, the connection with others has been almost, it, it almost feels like an option. It's like if I have other people in my life who are supporting me, who I'm, who I'm in communion with and, and all these things, that it's like, it's like an extra thing that if I have it, it's great. But more and more what I'm finding, what, are the, what I'm realizing for myself is that it's, it's not only that I'm responsible for myself, but that we're, we are responsible to each other, not, not for each other, but we're also responsible to each other. And that that's, the, that's the actual complete sentence yes. that it's not a, right. That, that, that it's a, I'm responsible for myself, maybe a comma and we are responsible to each other. And I really believe that is, that is the complete sentence because without like, like if we split those, those two sentences apart, yeah. Right. Or, or those two, those two, uh, you know, ideas apart, they, they kind of don't work. Right. right? Like they kind right. of work, but not really. Right. And I really believe that we're in a place in, in our, in our evolution as humanity, where we're, where it would, you know, it would uh, behoove us to really start looking at the togetherness thing, not as an option, not as something that is nice if we get it. Right. And this is something yeah. that we can, you know, that will, that our systems and our, our just structures would definitely benefit from, a, a, you know, in some ways an overhaul of all these things. But yeah, I'm, I'm more and more seeing, because even in, in, in what you shared, you know, about like sitting in the bath, thinking of myself, but as, as the question you posed to me, because I've been in that place, right? Like I broke my leg um, here in Thailand and it was super despondent for about nine months. Wow. And during that time, there was no way I could have gone through that if there was not community around me. And I think that there's, and, and I was fortunate enough to be in a community where that was our culture, right? That was the culture we had created, that we were growing individually, but we were intentionally turning towards each other. And, and, mm -hmm. and, and I believe that the more and more that we bring that into our, into our, you know, into our collective awareness, that, that it's not optional, 
I don't think if we're wanting to, you know, survive and get to the nice, you know, the next nice place together, um, that it really is, is that we're supposed to be doing this together in, in some ways. And at the same time, we're supposed to be taking care of ourselves and figuring out our own stuff. Right. So it's this, it's this dance that we're, I think we're learning to, uh, you know, to do together. On a global scale. I mean, my, my, my circle has expanded exponentially over the past two years where, you know, we've been limited in our ability to be physically together, you know, both with this pot, I was feeling it, uh, you know, it was just a month, I think only a month after COVID hit and we were on lockdown and I was climbing the walls. I was feeling like you say, despondent because in my isolation, because even my local friends, I couldn't be in the same room with. And that's why I started this podcast, was a way to expand out into the world, expand the reach. And it was just the simple act of starting my first recording, my first guest was my father, because I couldn't think of anybody else. <laughs> but also because he was, you know, a brilliant, had a brilliant biography and, and uh, had so much to, to, you know, talk about. But, um, and then I lost him to COVID just a few months ago. And what a gift, not only to the world to have that document, but also to myself that I can go back and hear my father and I in dialogue, in loving sharing of education and, and ideas uh, and spirituality. And it was very special. And as all of my guests have been special. And I feel that that just in the simple act of, of asking a question and seeking out experts in one degree or another of, of universal life skills, that the circle keeps expanding. And I feel very privileged, Justin, uh, that we are now in one another circle. And I hope in the future we'll, we'll be able to do a part two, because um, it keeps expanding, doesn't it? it the circle widens. As it does, yeah, I appreciate this, Henry. And it's been, um, yeah, it's been, been really great to be able to speak with you. And, and for, this is actually our first conversation. So ever, ever. Some, yeah, yeah, <laughs> ever. So, so there's definitely some, some, some magic and juice to it. And, and yeah, I appreciate the, uh, yeah, the inquiry and the depth that we go into, and and I think this is something that is yeah really important that we go to those places and you know shine the light in those ways, unexpected ways. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the beauty of it. So thank you again. This was indeed magic. I love that you use that word. I use it all the time. And um, get get out there, everybody, and and be magic. I'll post some links in the description so that you can find out more about Justin Lee and uh, hopefully more about yourself. Uh, let's keep the conversation going. This is a, the end of season two. And so be looking forward to season three of the Lost Traveler podcast. Thanks again, Justin. And thanks, everybody. You've been listening to season two of the Lost Traveler podcast with Henry Cameron Allen. Visit me online at www.henryallen.org. Thank you to my guests and thank you for tuning in. 
Let's keep striving for a better world together.